This is Living Real Radio. Real issues in real time with your host, John Angotti and Greg Walton. Living Real Radio is brought to you by Closets by Design. Imagine your home totally organized. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700. Good morning. Welcome to Living Real Radio. I'm your host, John Angotti, with Greg Walton, and it's Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas to everybody. It is uh, also our 200th episode, which is airing this evening at 8 o'clock instead of 8 a.m. What do you think about that? That's right. I mean, it's like gifts, you know, happening all around on on Christmas Day. Yeah. You know. Doing a long time. Today we have our pastor, Father Ed Steiner, with us. Are you over there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Santa Claus has entered the building. Right. (laughs) Father Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Father Christmas. And a seminarian. And seminarian. James, uh, James Grossheim is to with be us here. today. Yeah, James is joining us. He's going to be, uh, Father's going to work him hard. He's, you're here all week? That's right. I'm here all week till Christmas. Oh, till, just till Christmas? Well, well, including Christmas. Yeah, 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 including today. Yeah, great. Nice. Before, normally, he would have been here with us about two weeks, but he opted to go on a mission trip to Honduras. We were in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Uh, my class at the seminary, at Notre Dame Seminary down in New Orleans. Uh, we took a trip down, a mission trip down to Costa Rica. Oh, we'll yeah. have to talk about that. Sure. And yeah, um, yeah James and I, actually, the, his family, we have a lot of history. So oh, um, yeah. we were parishioners together down at St. Catherine in Columbia. Okay. And uh, uh, James went to high school with my kids. So I think you may be like the only um, like local uh, peer that's yeah. in seminary. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. in in the, in the friend circle, you know, but family is super super devout, really really great folks and and um Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so Father Ed, it's Christmas. What do you want to tell us? Come on. <laughs> one of my uh, one of my favorite bits of Christmas trivia. Oh, here we go. Uh, and you know, in the society we live and um people in stores, everybody has to say happy holidays to cover the bases, whether it's Hanukkah or whatever it is, you know, Christmas. Um, But when we do say Merry Christmas, in England of the 19th century, the uh, Charles Dickens era, era, uh, Christmas or Merry meant blessed. So when you said Merry Christmas to people, you were really saying blessed Christmas. Mm. And, you know, we picked that up, you know, um, in one of our hymns, God rest ye merry, gentlemen, mm-hmm. you know, our, our Savior has come. And so be blessed. And so that's my favorite bit of Christmas trivia, that that's where the word, how we get the word Merry Christmas. It's not about be merry, make merry, have parties, but it's the um, blessed Christmas is what it means. You know, uh, the happy holidays things that people, you know, to be politically correct and all that kind of thing along the way. Do you think people sit and reflect on why we have happy holidays? I mean, because without Merry Christmas, you can't have happy holidays. There would be no happy holiday. That is correct. The, right? Yeah, you know, we've, we've talked before about Hanukkah. Well, Hanukkah, yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, all all of us here at the at the church, you know, we've always talked about the uh, folks that, uh, you know, that we only see at Christmas and Easter. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of the joke that pastor was shaking hands one Sunday morning, and a gentleman came back and complained that the altar is always decorated the same way. And he said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, all you ever have at poinsettias or Easter lilies." So, <laughs> yeah, but. Um, uh, but I'm not making fun of, of, at, at all of the folks that would come on those days. Yeah, I think, and we'll, we'll concentrate on Christmas, that it's such a powerful moment that even for people that may be dealing with their whole relationship with God, those who are pondering who Jesus really is, there's something about the day that is so powerful that it draws them in. You know, it draws them in, and... Um, you know, so it's great that way. So I and answered your question, John. Yeah, I think people do become a little bit more reflective this time of year. Yeah. Uh, you know, people become reflective at Thanksgiving. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I always say Thanksgiving is the only civil holy day we have, you know, right. the, a state-sponsored holy day in many ways. But, but there's just something about Christmas, and especially about Christmas Eve. You know, uh, for years and years and years, you know, everybody wanted to go to a Catholic midnight mass. And when, when I was at our cathedral in Nashville, I would dare say that at least half of the people that came were not Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was, there's just something to the ritual, to the music, that there is an inner longing and an inner need that it speaks to. You know, people, and I think a lot of people, they're truly hoping that the night will make things different for them. I think they're hoping to find something. And um, so, you know, it's a powerful, great day. And, and yeah. it, of course, it's not so much the day, it's what we celebrate. Yeah. Something about the gathering with the families and the friends and that just is uh, beyond words. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's a feeling that just you automatically have. Yeah, and I always talk about, I don't always talk about it, many, many times, I'll especially like at a late night mass, of course, our mass is at 1030, but it's midnight somewhere. It's midnight somewhere. That's <laughs> right. Uh, well, and people say, well, why do we have midnight mass anymore? Well, the midnight mass began when you had to keep fast, serious fast before Christmas day and midnight was the next day. So you could break your fast and you could have a mass. So that, so midnight became, you know, a big deal. And so people wanted to be here beyond the moment, be able to celebrate but in those masses, there have been times that what I've preached about is sacred silence. Huh. That there's just, you know, people come to the mass. Of course, we sing. We usually have big music. We have all kinds of special musicians added, orchestra. But when people get home, a lot of people, you know, they get home and they turn off all the lights in their house. And they're just, they just have their Christmas tree lights on. Mm-hmm. And they sit there and enjoy the silence. And um, you know, there's just something about that. And I, that's why it's a season of hope. People are they're hoping for something. And, and I think they make great use of that evening. Um, you know, as nephew Fred said in a Christmas Carol, you know, and I say Christmas, God bless it. Because it, uh, or as he goes on before that, he says, you know, that Christmas is a way of, it, it has a way of opening up, shut up hearts freely and helps us realize that we are all passengers, uh, all, you know, to the grave. You know, we're fellow passengers uh, that, like you said, John, it just, whether it's family, you know, people are nicer in the stores. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all know the, the huge checkout lines, you know, in the big box stores, whether it's a Walmart or a Target or a Sam's or a Costco, you know, any other time of year, I think we would just absolutely lose our patience. Yeah. But people try harder this time of year. It, it, so it means something. I, it's a good thing we try harder because there are a lot of folks who suffer through these days who need to have others with hope to be around, to hear that message of peace and joy. Because, you know, if you've lost somebody or, you know, I've got a couple friends who lost children this past year and things of that nature, you know, and, and you mourn that. So, like, even myself, I, I think about my parents who have passed, that uh, Christmas is different now as you get older um, because the traditions and the memories of the days when you were younger and the family gatherings are gone Mm -hmm. and all you have left are the memories to sit back in. And it's, it's almost like there's this emptiness that you sit with and, and, uh, uh, and you miss those days. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's a lot of that that goes on too. What do you think? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think about that too. You know, um, Mary and I are, are, near empty nest and while all the kids kind of come in together you know you you find yourself kind of walking around the house with the decorations and you you kind of remember like when some of some of the homespun ones that you have on the tree you know those paper ones that are just like a scribble of something but it 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 looks like a christmas tree or whatever and uh yeah it 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 gives a little tug doesn't it you know um um think about those memories um yeah it's like being in love 
You know what I mean? But having your heart broke, it's, it's, it's like a memory of that because it's no longer, maybe, maybe. I yeah, it, it, it introduces a, a certain poignancy, you know, a deep feeling within us. Um, I know when, you know, we all have memories of certain Christmases. We, in, we, every now and then people say, what is your best Christmas memory? Well, I got a lot of best Christmas memories, but uh, along the line of what you just said, John, one that really made a difference for me was uh, the, the first Christmas after my father had died. Uh, he died on Valentine's Day. Uh, he had been sick with leukemia for five years. So in many ways, we, I call it pre-grieving. You know the day's coming. So when it does come, it doesn't hit you as hard as if a parent had just dropped dead. Um, and so it's a while before the true grief hits you. But what I did realize uh, for myself is that I, there was no way I could fly to Florida where my parents live and celebrate Christmas as it, and pretend it's, you know, do the same things. Yeah. Because the sense of loss will be so present, you know, and his chair will be empty. Right. So I convinced my mother and my sisters and their families this year, at least let's do something different. Let's not try to do the same old thing. We can go back next year and, and bring back a lot of family traditions. So they all piled in cars and planes, and they all came to Nashville, moved in the rectory with me, and we celebrated Christmas there. And it just happened to snow on Christmas Day. It didn't stick. Huh. And uh, my nephews and my niece had never seen snow. Wow. But it was an incredible, you know, incredible day. The beauty of that Christmas was, you know, we were trying to celebrate, even with the loss, but somehow making it okay. May, you, know, you know, no doubt Dad was not there, but yet the difference made us celebrate it differently. And I think for all of us, it's one of the Christmases we still talk about the most. Yeah. The Incarnation. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, without that, we don't have anything. Yeah. Sometimes we call it the magic of the season, but it's the miracle of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Having a baby. And um, we're airing this on, we're recording this on Thursday. Christmas is on Sunday. And my daughter's still waiting to have this baby. So I hope she might have it on Christmas Day. But, I, I, you know, anyway, having a new baby, the anticipation of that has brought a new uh, joy. Oh, yeah. That was uh, unexpected. Dude, this is going to, like, open your world. I, I can't kind of wait to see you heading the grandpa mode. This is going to, I mean, I know it's like grandpa is weird. Do you know, what are you going to call your, what are you going to have him call you? Are you going to let them name you? No, well, you know? my, my father, uh, the kids called him Papa. Yeah. So I'm just going to go with my, what my dad had. Okay. Papa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're doing Jeepa and Mimi, you know, uh -huh. with us, you know. I sometimes think, you know, we think of God as father, but sometimes I think of God as, as grandfather. Because as a parent, when my kids do something, I'm immediately correcting them and I'm pulling them out and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like sometimes God lets things go with people that you think should be reprimanded. Like a grandparent would be like, oh, it's okay. I'll, we'll, we'll take care of it later <laughs> or something like that, you know. And interesting you should say that because a bunch of studies have been done about where children get their image of God. And the largest percentage, it's not huge, but the largest percentage is their grandfather. One or the other, or a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. That's where they get their image of God, hmm. God the Father. You know, they see the pictures of the, the old men. You know, God yeah. is presented as an old bald man with a beard, but... Um, John grew a beard and it fit right in there. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look old enough yet, but, but, but anyway, that's where a lot of kids get their image from. Mm. Uh, you know, going back to last Sunday, you know, uh, last Sunday we read from the Gospel of Matthew, the, the Christmas story, and Matthew's whole perspective of the birth of Jesus is from the, the context and the point of view of Joseph. Yeah. Luke's is from Mary. But Matthew's from Joseph. And, and, you know, as we, I say, of all the Christmas characters, Joseph is the most 
left out. You know, everybody talks about Mary, of course, the baby, the shepherds, the magi, the animals, and poor old Joseph. You know, nobody talks about Joseph. But when parents complain their children aren't going to school or aren't going to church and all that, the, the most common powerful thing of what helps children stay with the faith is the example of their fathers, yeah. you know, because they're a man, but they, you know, and it's just a little bit different, but to see their fathers pray, come to mass, be involved. Um, you know, we can think of Joseph there in the manger and, you know, Joseph is one that had to teach Jesus how to be a man. Absolutely. You know, Joseph ones had to, you know, teach him how to pray. Yeah. He was the one that helped him memorize the Psalms, which all young Jewish men had to do. He would have taught him how to pray in the synagogue, you know. So, you know, when we talk about, and Jesus, you know, he talks about the father, love of his father. Yeah. Well, how in the world does he understand the love of father and son except from Joseph? You know, he learned how to love his father, he did love his father. Uh, doesn't say much about it, but we know families. And, and so we can see in some of the things he says about loving God the Father are modeled off the love of a son for his earthly father. You know, of course, he would have called Joseph Abba, which is just the common name that, you know, in Semitic language regions that's a common name the you know sort of the intimate name i would never equate it with daddy but that's just sort of the, the name that like mama and papa or mama and daddy and that kind of thing but you know i find it so interesting that that's how jesus would have addressed joseph and he teaches us to address our heavenly father when yeah. you pray mm -hmm. abba father it's a very emotionally available term you know between a child and their dad, yes. you know, and, uh, you know, I, this makes me think of a song, um, okay. cause, uh, uh, there's very few songs I think that kind of reflect on, on Joseph's perspective, but, but Michael Card has one and I was asked to sing it last, um, weekend at Nativity's concert and, um, it's, it's so, uh, and I love this chorus, father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the son of God? And it just unfolds from there. So you mind if we, we play that? Let's play it. All right. So this is Joseph's song, Michael Card. And uh, you're listening to Living Real on Nashville's Hippie Radio 94.5. Some of the songs in our Nashville Hippie Radio broadcast cannot be featured on our podcast, but you can find links to them in this episode's description. Thanks for listening. Imagine the clutter in your home gone. Imagine no longer needing a junk drawer. Imagine everything put away in its place. Imagine your home totally organized. Let the professionals at Closets by Design organize your home, office, or garage. They're experts in space management and specialize in maximizing the space that you already have, whether it's your closet, office, pantry, or garage. No space is too big or too small. Call locally owned Closets by Design for your free in-home no-obligation consultation. Find out how you can save 40% off their everyday low prices and get free installation. Call 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700. Or online at closetsbydesign.com. Welcome back to Living Real Radio. Greg Walton here with John Angotti. This is our 200th episode of, of Living Real. And we have St. Philip's pastor, Father Ed Steiner, with us. And we have a seminarian, um, James Grossheim. And, uh, and we just uh, listened to Joseph's song. And then also, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Because we were talking a little bit, too, about some of the dismay some of us experience with our, our families. You know, if it's a year first, if you've lost a loved one, um, but, you know, let nothing you dismay, but remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Um, so we just tag that on to the end of there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go back and just touch on something that the Joseph thing. Uh, I did the consecration on St. Joseph. I don't know if you've read that book. That with, yes. With so much you, we actually know about Joseph by unfolding Scripture more by looking at the life of Jesus, you know, and that kind of thing. It was really amazing to think about. Uh, you know, Joseph walked to Egypt. They're like, this was not an old man. 
No. Right. Well, <laughs> old is a relative term because <clears throat> in those days, you know, the average age was only 35. Um, malnutrition was an issue, some other things. Um, so most scripture scholars reason that Mary was somewhere around 14 years old. Um, because that would be the marrying age of a girl because they got to have to start having babies because when the average age is only 35. 30, yeah. yeah. And then to say Joseph was an old man, eh, he might've been early thirties, mm-hmm. you know I mean? But, yeah. n- but not the old, old man we often see in pictures or the way mangers portray him. Yeah. You know, from our point of view, he's not that old. He's older than Mary, but not that old. Yeah. And the age really, that comes from tradition. It's not actually even scriptural. We don't, there's no reference to Joseph's age in yeah. in, in the canon. Right. You know? But the, the thing we have with WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, I always find that would be hard because Jesus is Jesus. But if you use WWJD, what would Joseph do? And reflect on that because he was fully human and did things to say yes and, you know, be acceptance of difficulties and, um, you know, that kind of thing. That for me to think, okay, what would Joseph do? I'd be like, okay, you know, I can relate more to that or think that I can accomplish that. To accomplish what Jesus did is hard, but to accomplish what Joseph did looks like it's reachable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to throw a question to James. Um, Hit me. (laughs) Yeah. uh, A lot of folks, James's age, uh, otherwise they're all in college, and, you know, you get that last week of the semester when you're going crazy and you might think you might need mental help with the papers that are due and the exams and all of that. And then poof, you're free. Now for James, yet he, he'll be with us till Christmas day. Fortunately, his family is very, very close by. But when the Bishop assigns them to a parish for Christmas, all of the lead up, they're not with their families. They're sort of figuring out what it is to be in a parish, not with your family, you know, and making that transition. So James, I just, you know, what is it like for you to be transitioning, uh, making this transition school, any student you're out for the holidays, yippee, but you're not out the same way your peers are out. Sure. I think it's, it's, uh, it's nice having like a, like a rectory, a parish rectory that you can kind of fall fall back into. You don't have to uh, kind of figure out, okay, where am I going to go? It's, it's, already, it's already kind of decided for, for you. I was with uh, St. Philip at the end of this past summer, and so coming back here uh, was, was, was sort of natural to come back here and, and spend Christmas uh, here at St. Philip. But uh, it, it's an interesting thing. I think every, every young person as they graduate college, I just graduated college seminary this past fall, and I think everybody I think most most of my peers would, um, they, they you know they 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 desire a bit of independence from from their families and and especially like you you go back home and you see things in a different light, uh, not not in the same light that you saw them when when you were living in in living at home and and growing up uh, in that environment, and you you come away to, to for me to a seminary, and then you come back and you look at, at at home life and family life and what what are things like and. And uh, it's nice, especially for for men in formation, to be able to come back to a parish rectory, which is what which is what they're going to be spending the rest of their life living in, rather than uh, with their parents and with their their siblings and in a, in a family environment. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing you said was absolutely true, and it would be same for John or for Greg, and you know any of us, that when you've been away for a period of time, and then you go back home, it is different. Not different bad, but your perspective has been changed, maybe a little subtly, maybe a lot. But, but you know, it, it almost gives you fresh eyes for Christmas. For sure. And, you know, and, it's, and, of course, we all long for the familiar. You know, it better be the same manger scene out that was last year mm-hmm. than all of those you know, all the figures better be in the same spot, you know, all that, our Christmas OCD stuff. But we cling to that. You know, we, we cling to, in many ways, to the sameness because it drains away the distractions and we, and we can enter into the moment. So he's absolutely right. We, we come home and look differently. 
Do you find yourself kind of adjusting to civilian life, so to speak? Because I'm thinking about Joseph, right, being uh-huh. in the Marines, and he, he you know, he oh, comes yeah, back, sure. you know, and actually, yeah. And did you guys graduate together? Were you 20? He was a year behind me. Okay, so yeah. you were and, 2018. And to be clear, this Jane, this was your son, my, not my Joseph, son Joseph. Though. Yeah, we were just yeah. talking friend about of mine in high school. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, um, so Joseph, actually, yeah, you guys were in. Um, uh, Shrek together yeah, and right. uh, yeah, together. yeah, yeah, and so um, yeah, so he's you know in his last year with the U.S. Marines, so he's actually going to have like a six month transition type thing to kind of adjust from you know the uh, uh, we were kind of making a little crack about obedience because Father invited you in on this, and you're like, oh, all right, the pastor told me I got to be here, so now I'm going to sit behind a microphone, right? That's right. But it's he, exactly the same thing. It's like adjusting to having taking orders all the time to. For sure. All of a sudden, having this freedom, you know. So, hey, what's that like for you? You know. Um, oh, you you caught me at a at a at an interesting moment for that question, uh, because I just graduated uh, Saint Joseph Seminary College this past fall, uh, which is which is a, it's a seminary run by, but Benedictine monks, uh, training diocesan priests, and so that you know there there there's there's a couple things going on there. First of all. You ha- most of the men there are 18 to 21 years old. Um, so they just graduated high school. They're, they're, they're right, right in the world. They want to do what they want, and you have to break them, right? You have to, uh, you have, you have, they have to learn how to be obedient. And so the, they, they're subjected to like a, 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 a very... Uh, regimented. A regimented boot camp. life. Yeah, it's like boot, boot camp. Yeah. You, you, you wake up at... You wake up you can wake up as late as you want, but you have to be in the in the oratory at seven fifteen for morning prayer, you know. Uh, and then the, and then this mass, and they take a roll, and you you have to be at meals, you have to wear a certain thing. Um, most of your day is pretty is pretty packed uh, when you take into account you have to do your homework, your reading, and whatnot. Um, but that, so that, that so that's that was a, that was actually a transition that I had to go through uh, from that kind of of uh, of. Uh, regiment that kind of, of discipline disciplined rule of life to now where I'm at at Notre Dame uh, seminary in in New Orleans it's we are all adults here now it we're, we're all a lot of my classmates are in their 30s you know it's there's a lot more freedom uh, all of our classes are actually over by by lunchtime for the most part and so th- that entire afternoon is just free you can do what you need to do you can do your homework you can go to the store uh, you can go visit friends. You know, you have to get your, your stuff done. Uh, so it takes a lot of discipline to take that afternoon and uh, and do what you need to do. But it's that that freedom that's uh, that freedom is is an interesting thing to kind of step into, both even just at the graduate seminary, um, and then when you come here into a parish, it, it's it's even more so. You know, you don't have to you don't have classes that you have to be at. It's more of a yeah, you should be in the office. You should be available. Um, but it it is it is much more of a, uh, I don't know, like a fr- like a free like a as you see fit kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, James talked about home and uh, the popular song. It was written during the Second World War, while so many people were deployed. You know, for the war. Uh, you know, I'll be home for Christmas. And, it, you know, it's we've lost that context of it being written in the midst of the first Second World War with people's hopes and dreams. I had never heard of that context. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when it was written, you know, and it was about the soldier singing, I'll be home for Christmas. Please have snow and mistletoe and, you know, looking for that home, that familiar. Mm-hmm. And then, John, you've written a song, which is a, a very powerful song. I'm going to get you to talk about it, why you wrote it. Um we had it, did it at the Christmas concert. I was listening. Father Michael and I, as we went to another parish for a penance service, we were listening to it. And, um, you know, we talked about the people that only at church, maybe Christmas, Christmas Easter, but you wrote a song called Welcome Home. Mm-hmm. And it's about reaching out to those folks that are looking for home. Yeah. You know, maybe not home with mom, dad, siblings. But a home for their faith. You know, you know, why did you write it? Tell us a little bit about I, it. I wrote it f- for the people that only come at Christmas and that feel 
uh, ostracized by the church or have had some kind of issue or have fallen away from faith or, you know, you, you get lost along the journey. And, uh, you know, the number one reason people leave the church is because they feel they don't belong. That somebody said, you don't fit the bill. You don't look like the mold we're trying to create or that kind of thing. So they, you know, they're, they're left aside. And I always felt, you know, we're all God's children. That when we meet for worship, it's the only place that I find that we're all on common, equal ground. Not one greater than the other. And I think, you know, too often when we draw lines and all this other kind of stuff, that we create the divisions. And Jesus unites. It's the evil one that divides. It's Jesus that unites. And so how do we unite all people, especially at this time? And the one thing I find that everybody has in common is they believe in love. That's why I don't believe there are atheists, because if you believe in love, you actually believe in God. But too often we create a God who looks like us, and it doesn't lead into a mystery, because how can you imagine a God of all the universe? I can't. It's beyond my understanding. But sometimes we try to fit everything between our ears, so we intellectualize everything so I can come up with my ideas that I'm right. And I looked at that and I said, it's a mystery. All we know is just the tip of this iceberg and to be open to dialogue that you look at the country now and everything, everybody's so divided on everything. There's no place to meet on common ground. And it's only at this Christmas time I found that this is the opportunity to widen our embrace, to say, you know what? You are loved. You belong here. You know, part of the song takes that reading of the, the line we'll lay down with the um, with the calf and all this stuff, that's part of it in the song and all that kind of thing. But, you know, but, but it's about welcome home, you know, oh, child of God, that which creature on the planet is not a child of God? Which one? None. We all are. And so how do we embrace that in a way uh, to love people where they're at and um, realize that even our own understanding of all of it is limited it's limited it doesn't you know we don't have all the information because we can't you know we're just human beings you know we're, we're we, we somebody explain to me how the universe does somebody really know the answer no it's all just guesses right mm -hmm. it's all hypothesis based on data that points us in this direction that says this seems like it's the truth but there's more data that keeps coming and so the more information that we have, it changes the way we think. But at the bottom line, the one thing that remains common is the deepest desire I find for every single person is to be loved, mm. to feel welcomed. And that's what the song's about. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking, John, about there's no way we can keep God between our ears. It's, it's, too big, too much of a mystery. Mystery, yes, but mysterious, no. Right. There's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, God is a mystery that wants to be figured out. And, you know, we try to do that. But what Christmas really, with people without realizing it, what Christmas helps a lot of people do is to pray in a way that with some of the great saints we would call mystical prayer. You know, it's, it's, it's not the wordiness, it's not the, you know, the, you know, reading the prayers off the, the holy cards, which are great. I mean, I, I would never put that down at all. But there's something about the power of Christmas and that, and what you talked about is that inner desire, you know, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. You know, there's that restless about our lives. We're all looking for something. And, and the beauty of Christmas is it allows us to, to touch that need. Not, not in a way that um, makes us feel like we missed it, but it allows us to touch that need with the hope and the belief, I will discover it. I will discover it. And uh, that's why I really like that song. It's an invitation to people that we really do want you here. The church has a lot of teachings, and sometimes they're presented badly, and sometimes people, you know, given their lifestyle, they feel like, well, they don't want me, or I don't deserve to be there, or people look at me kind of funny, but... You know, if we enter into Christmas, we hear, you know, catch on in the Gospel of Luke, 
with those shepherds that are the least respected of people mm. uh, because, because they're shepherds. They can't go to the synagogue. They can't participate in all the ritual things. And the shepherds in Luke are not shepherds that own the flocks. They're shepherds for hire, so they may not be the best of shepherds for those sheep. You know, they're not going to exactly go after the wolf. You know, they're going to run. Um, but who does the angel say glad tidings? you know, to the outcasts, to the, to the ones that nobody really wants around them. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that hear the message first. Hmm. Well, let's play that and reflect on that. Welcome home. John and Gotti on Living Real Nationals Hippie Radio 94.5. Welcome home, good people. Oh, weary traveler. You've been gone so long We've prepared a place for you to call your home No need to worry No need to be No matter what You are always welcome here So bring your burdens We'll ease your load it's Christmas, so welcome home. Welcome home, oh child of God. Welcome home into Christ's loving arms. The door is open, you're not alone. Welcome home. In our waiting for your return We have filled our hearts with mercy and concern For you, our neighbor, from far and wide With compassion and forgiveness we are reconciled So bring your burden. We'll ease alone It's Christmas Welcome home Welcome home Oh child of God Welcome home Into Christ's loving arms The door is open You're not alone Welcome home The desert will bloom The storm shall cease The lion and the lamb Make peace Hope is restored Our Savior is born Walk in the darkness No more Christ's loving arms The door is open You're not alone Weary traveler Welcome home Welcome back to Living Real Radio. John and Gotti here with Greg Walton, and we got James, our seminarian, with us, and our pastor, Father Ed, uh, talking about Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And um, James is going to be up and coming. You know, they're, they're forming you to, to be a shepherd. 
right. you know. And uh, we we're just talking about shepherds. That's right. And they were they were the unclean ones in in society. So you know. That's right. It's interesting how how we take that we take that role of of shepherds. because Christ Himself took that role of, of shepherd upon Himself. I am the good shepherd, and so mm. we just take that after Christ. Yeah. Ever smelled a shepherd? <laughs> Not. Mm? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was in Italy, of all places, in Pompeii, when I, over, a, the, several of us had gone down on the train to Pompeii, and uh, we'd gone up on a hillside, we had bought sandwiches and a couple bottles of wine, and we're overlooking Pompeii on this hillside. We hear all these bells, what in the world, and we turn around, here comes a flock of sheep with a shepherd. Uh-huh. I mean, just exactly like you would imagine a shepherd looking. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, now, we were talking about, you were talking earlier about how God loves you. What the shepherd would do, he would, as he's talked to us, our bad Italian and his struggling English, we were able to speak. But the sheep would start to spread out, you know, he wasn't paying attention to them. And he would turn around and he would whistle a certain melody, and they would all come running back to the middle. And then we began to notice, well, they'd all come running back to the middle, except one or two might be going off on their own. And then he would whistle a different tune, and you would see one of those two sheep pop its head up and come running back. And then he would whistle another tune, and that other sheep would pop its head up and come running to the flock. And he explained to us, that he has a different whistle for every one of the sheep in his flock. And there had to be well over 50 sheep. Wow. But he had a different whistle. And it, it you know, it's, he calls them by name, you know, yeah. that sense. Wow. And so, you know, I, I can truly see, you know, Jesus referring himself at, to as the good shepherd, not like those bad ones that you don't like. Right. I'm the good shepherd. And, um, you know, just to see how that works, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're known by the Lord individually. Yeah. The shepherd would not, a real shepherd would not leave the 99 to go get the one. Never. Not in a million years. But Jesus would. That's right. You know, that's the correlation. And I, I've met a few shepherds in my travels throughout the years. And it's it's unique how they speak that they, it is a fact, he says, this one guy was telling me, he says, they know my voice, mm-hmm. you know, that those scripture passages are, are real, you know, that it's just not something that, you know, they hear, uh, the shepherd's voice. How do we now at Christmas father and seminarian, what's a good way for us to hear the shepherd's voice from this season on the sights, the sounds and the images of Christmas can help you know, um, I, oftentimes you know my sp- spiritual director in my latter years of seminary you know we'd talk about my prayer and how my prayer was going and he would just always say Ed if you're going to pray successfully will you shut up and listen you know and you yeah. know, his point was quit talking because you know he would say you're, you know if your jaw's moving yours don't work and using the memories, the images, the symbols of Christmas, you know, just to sit with that and ponder. Uh, 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 oftentimes I recommend to people this time of year, especially during Advent, turn all the lights down, turn them off or whatever, and just move a chair in front of your manger scene and just sit there. Yeah. You know, that is one of those ways, you know, to use those gifts that we have and and all of them are, whether it's the Christmas tree or the wreaths or the manger to let the images speak to us. Yeah. As you preach and you begin homiletics and stuff, um, what I find, I'm just throwing this out there, that sometimes we need to give the people a task. Yes. Give them something to do so that they remember this is your job this week or this is you know as an inst- what do you think homework homework you know this is your homework you know that um as uh the, these beautiful rituals that we have you know to develop them 
further so that people can engage in this mystery that, you know, I always say when, when y'all say this is, as we sing with the angels and saints, it's one of two things. You're either lying or you're telling the truth, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're telling the truth that somehow beyond our senses, beyond our understanding that God is present, you know, and it's not something that we do. It's not something of how you hold your hands or the, how much smoke you use or how many candles. It's something that God does, right? It's not something that we do. Am I wrong on that? Nope. Yeah, it's something that, that God does. And, and so to give people, you know, because I don't think most people that come to church, they probably wouldn't know what to do unless you told them how to pray because, and prayer is listening. Half of prayer or probably three quarters of prayer or more is listening because God already knows what you need, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's on us to tell God so we become aware within ourselves and we're humbling ourselves. God knows, and we really don't have to tell God. Right. But at the same time, it does something for us, and it's about us to, to put it into words. Yeah. You, know, you were asking you know, about homework. I didn't this year because usually the fourth Sunday of Advent, I do give some homework, although I was something about the Holy Spirit said preach about St. Joseph on Sunday. But there's many a year I've told him, I said, your homework is to go home, sit down with your family, whether it's at the dinner table, in front of whatever, and read the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. Mm. Yeah. Just read it as a family, you know? And then if you got kids, ask them, well, what does this mean to you? Yeah. And kids are the best preachers of all. Yeah. Mm. Are you a good preacher, Greg? <laughs> uh, I think that, yeah, I don't know. I. <laughs> <laughs> You preach to your kids. What did you tell your kids about? Oh gosh, you know, I, you know, I'd have to say that um, in hindsight, you know, I I was really big on on doctrine and catechism and, and church teaching. Um, I I could have done a better job of loving, you know, yeah, um, and accompanying, uh, you know, uh, my kids. I mean, I was I, I tried my best to be, you know, emotionally present. And I, I had a really great dad who was available in that way. But I kind of like, we get in our heads too much sometimes as parents, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, Father, you were talking earlier about how we get that image of, of God, you know, from our, our fathers and our grandfathers. You know, the biggest thing in the world that is universal, Richard Rohr would say, is the father wound across cultures, across religions. Mm -hmm. And that impacts, you know, that relationship with God, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, love and compassion, not worrying so much about the preaching, at least not with the words, right? Yeah. The, the doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final words, Father, you want to give us here on this Christmas? Give us a nice little Christmas message, blessing. Well, the, the main thing is, as we've been talking, and I've used a lot about the images of Christmas. Of course, one of the big images is Santa Claus. And people say, well, isn't that leading children down the wrong road? I said, no, they can, they can comprehend Santa Claus. And eventually, they're going to transition away from that to something else. And with a little bit of guidance, they can make that transition from the image of Santa Claus into St. Nicholas or into Christ himself. Uh, and, and so you can use that. But uh, uh, my final words is this. I, I read an article once that uh, said there are three phases in a man's life. Phase one, he believes in Santa Claus. Phase two, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And phase three, he wants to be Santa Claus. Huh. Mm. Yeah, how our hearts change through the years. That's beautiful. Yeah. Maybe mm. yeah, you're going to use that in homily. I probably <laughs> will eventually. Yeah. That was great. Any final words, James? You want to say something for the leave the people with a nice Christmas message of sort? Um, yeah, I think I think. Oh man, Santa Claus is is a is a fairy tale, right? Uh, and I, th I think I think there's something that we've as we have a culture. I've kind of lost the art of of reading fairy tales, um, because the, the fairy tale always means something else. Yeah. You read kids a fairy tale, and at first they're going to believe, oh, wow, like there's, like these dragons and unicorns are, are actual things in the world. But then they start to realize, hopefully, that, that 
no, they're not actually in the world, but they mean something. They, they're, they're, the story is actually about a truth, a true thing that um, is symbolized, is represented by, by the fairy tales. And I think Santa Claus is the same way. Yeah. So it's, that's interesting that you bring that up. That was something I was thinking about the other day. Yeah. 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 But um, one of the things, uh, you know, kind of closing up is talk about giving blessings. I, I think spiritually we want to let Christmas bless us. Christmas, we give a lot of stuff at Christmas and we try to find the right gift for people. But Christmas is a gift itself and it's God's gift. And, you know, so we need to let Christmas bless us. And, you know, and sometimes it's the worship service, whether the person's coming to Mass or to their own church. You know, it's, we want to be in that mindset. We're there to praise, but we're there to also see the gift we have been given. Salvation, number one. But to, because there is nothing that says, I love you more than God giving us his son. That's Christmas, and we need to let that bless us, guide us, and help shape our hearts and the way we look and deal with people. Yeah. Why don't you close us in a prayer? God, our Heavenly Father, you put us in paradise, and through our desire to have things our way, you had to ask us to leave, but it wasn't forever. Instead, you have always wanted us back, and you gave us the path. You gave us the way. You gave us your son, Jesus Christ, so that as we ponder things in silence, as we ponder the little town of Bethlehem, of a child born into a rather hostile world, we can remember that you came when we needed you most, and that will be always the way you treat us. Lord, thank you for Christmas. May it bless us and all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We want to thank uh, Closets by Design because this is our 200th episode. Yes. So we want to give them a big shout out. So if you need something, please check them out. Thank you, Father. Thank you, James, for being with us today. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And uh, you know, Living Real is a ministry of St. Philip Catholic Church in Franklin, Tennessee. You can find out more about us at stphilipfranklin.com. Go out and smile at somebody. Here's a little town of Bethlehem. You've been listening to Living Real Radio, real issues in real time with your host, John Angotti and Greg Walton. Be sure to tune in every Sunday at 8 a.m. to Living Real Radio. Living Real Radio, brought to you by Closets by Design. Imagine your home totally organized. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 615-261-8700. That's 615-261-8700.